Good morning, everybody. Great to see you here today. Um, we're, as uh, Todd already mentioned in the welcome, we're kicking off a brand new series, which I will explain all about it in just a few moments. But first, I want to begin with a question. It's kind of a summer theme uh, message series, but I want to begin with a question. The question is simply this. Do you remember learning how to swim? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you remember learning how to swim? That's good. Hopefully you know how to swim. That's important. Uh, but if you do, hopefully you remember what it was like the first time you let go of your mom or the swim instructor and begin to paddle through the unknown waters all on your own. It's terrifying, but you did it. And uh, I remember when I was a kid, maybe four years old, uh, we were at a beach and I did not know how to swim. So I'll just say that. I waded out into the water, what felt like a good distance. The water got up to my hips, not being able to swim. It was scary. As I proceeded, usually the further you go from the shore, the deeper it gets. But sometimes there are uh, sandbars and things in the water. So I remember it was getting shallower and shallower the further I got. I thought, this is cool. I'm very shallow. And I remember I tried this thing where I laid on top of the water. So you imagine me laying on the water way out in the beach and I had my hands on the sand. And I was scooting myself in a straight line across the water. I was fake swimming. And I called to my mom on the beach. I still remember. I said, Mom, look, I'm swimming. And she was kind of like, good job, Nathan. I mean, it was obvious. You can't swim without your arms. And uh, so I was faking it until I could make it. A a few years later, I finally uh, learned the fundamentals of swimming. And like many of you, I learned in the shallow end of a pool. Maybe some of you learned at a lake or at a beach. But uh, I was in the shallow end of the pool. and I had to learn how to paddle my hands and my feet and kick them in such a way that it would create up thrust so that my head would stay above water and I wouldn't sink. And you know, you, you try to paddle a few things to the edge and this was how it went. Uh, once I kind of got that basic fundamental skill uh, mastered, or so I thought, uh, then I, had, I proceeded to go under the water. And uh, to hold your breath, it's a scary thing when you're a little kid, and I remember holding my breath, going under the water and popping back up. <gasps> I didn't die. Awesome. So you go a little longer each time. Eventually, it's like no big deal, right? Hey, everybody, watch what I can do, you know. And, and so going under the water. And then the next step for me was to actually swim under the water. And I remember taking a few strokes, popping up in a different spot in the shallow end and thinking, I'm a fish. Look what I just did. And, and it was just this incredible feeling of accomplishment. And I was, I was so encouraged by my progress. I tried to sneak under the line. And some of you, some pools have a rope line with floaties. You know, the public pools used to have these. And I was trying to go under the line because I thought I'm ready for the deep end. And I heard the, <laughs> the lifeguard's like, no, <laughs> you're not ready. You know, my parents are like, whoa, too much. And I, I remember as a little kid learning the fundamentals in the shallow end and watching the older teens doing backflips off the diving board and swimming to the bottom for sinkers. And I thought, one day, one day I am going to be in the deep end. And eventually I did. I did get to the deep end. Uh, the title of our series over the next uh, three or four weeks, we'll see how it goes, is The Deep End. And uh, the subtext for the series is A Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Maturity. And what I want to do is I want to use this, this image of swimming, this analogy of learning to swim and progressing through the levels uh, as a means to talk about what it means and what it looks like to grow spiritually mature, to grow in your faith. And I think this is going to be a helpful example, specifically because so many of us during these warm summer months will be at pools and beaches, and, and hopefully the things that we're going to learn together over the next three weeks will be reminded constantly as you're enjoying summer. Uh, I'd also encourage you, if you're away on holidays in the upcoming weeks, 
you can, you can download the messages. There's podcasts or YouTube on our website. It's all over the place. I would really encourage you to stay uh, tuned with what we're doing over the next few weeks because I think this is going to be a really important series in that we're framing what spiritual maturity looks like and what we want for every person in this church. And so for you to understand over these three weeks, I'm going to be explaining the stages of spiritual development and all this is going to be helpful. So um, with all of that, um, there are sort of three objectives that I, that I hope that we'll accomplish uh, throughout this series. Objective number one is that you would know what the stages of spiritual maturity are. See, people just think, oh, you're, you're a baby and then you're grown. No, there's stages and there's a process. And I want you to understand what that is. Secondly, I would love for you to be able to, over the next three weeks, identify where you're at in your spiritual development. I'm here or I'm here or I'm here. Lastly, I would love for every person to know what their next step for spiritual growth would be. And that's where we kind of want to hope to make things practical for you. So I'm going to share with you first the three stages of development. Now you may wonder, you may say, well, why are there not four or five? I don't know. I'm just going with Jesus on this. Okay. When Jesus was speaking about spiritual growth and spiritual things, he was talking to farmers. They didn't have pools. Like, it's not like everyone had a pool in their backyard. They weren't at the beach. Okay. They lived in a hot, arid place. And he uses farming or agriculture to describe this three-step process. The first, he says, a seed, the kingdom of God and the word of God is like a seed and it goes into the ground and it germinates. So it, it, there's something that happens. The seed takes root and the process begins. Step one, germination. Step two, growth. That plant grows a stalk, a shoot, a, a, a stem, whatever it is, and grows into a plant. And then lastly, it becomes fruitful. This is the final stage. So you have three stages, the beginning, the growth, and the fruitfulness. This is how Jesus explains spiritual progress and spiritual maturity. And so we're going to refer to that as we go through the series. John, uh, Jesus' apostle, he actually writes to the early church and he uses physical growth and development as a way to explain spiritual growth and development. I love it. He calls the people, he says, I'm writing to you little children. And he's not talking about kids. He's talking about adults who are little children in the faith, who are learning and growing spiritually. Then he says, I'm writing to you young men. Or young ladies, again, he's not talking about age. He's talking about their spiritual development. And he says, I write to you fathers. Or you could say mothers, parents. So he outlines these three stages of spiritual development. Throughout the series, we're going to use uh, these three examples. I've got some little images. This is the shallow end. We've got the kid with the water wings. This is the deep end. You've got the muscular teenager doing the front crawl. And then finally, the maturity, you see you have a mother holding a hand of a little child with a floaty. And, and this is um, this is the idea, the 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 way that we're going to think about this over the next um, three weeks. So before we dive further into this, I really want to make sure that you understand why this is important. So I got this question: Why is spiritual maturity a topic worth discussing? Why is this worth us taking three weeks or whatever it's going to be to figure this out? Well, there's a number of reasons for that, but the the most important one I think is this: is that we teach, we instruct, and we correct people based on their level of maturity. Would you agree with that? Let me give you a, a kind of a silly example, but it, it hopefully hit home. Uh, if you have a two-year-old boy and you're going for a garden walk at your neighbor's house and they're like, look at my hostas and look at my dahlias and you're going to look and doing the garden walk and your two-year-old boy goes, pants come down and he starts peeing on their flowers. Right? As a parent, as an adult, you're going to be like, Okay, and you're going to try to do what? You're going to try to redirect. You might, you might redirect the stream. 
Uh, but certainly you'd have a conversation with little Billy or Bobby or whatever his name is, and you'd say, um, that wasn't good. And of course, the little kid would be like, why? And you say, well, what were you thinking? And the little kid might say, well, you know, you told me it's not good to pee in my pants, and I really had to pee. And those flowers look thirsty. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he cares. You know, it's like, oh, there's just like these cute little heart. He just doesn't know better. So you're like, okay, next time we go into the house and use the potty, we're not going to use our neighbor's flower garden. Okay. And you kind of redirect and steer that, that innocence. If you have a 20-year-old son who pulls down his pants and pees on your neighbor's flowers, let's just say you have a whole different level of problem. Because my guess is he would know better. My guess is that would be an act of rebellion. And here's the thing. Same act, the response is vastly different. Would you agree? And here's the problem. We come to church and we have people of various ages and stages. And you see somebody who's 50 years old or 30 years old and they have a master's degree and their life is together and they have money and they drive a nice car and you assume that they're, although they're mature naturally and, and mentally and all that physically, you would assume that they're spiritually mature, and yet they might know nothing about the kingdom of God. They might be like babes in the faith, and if you treat them as if they're mature, you'll scold them, you'll run them out of church, and, and they'll be... They'll... Jesus is a perfect example of this. For example, Jesus would spend time with tax collectors and sinners. He's sitting down having lunch, and there's a prostitute there, and he's telling her she's loved, and he's, he's redirecting her towards the kingdom of God and talking about her value. And then... He's so gentle and kind because here's this person that's messed up, but they're babe, and he's leading them gently. And then the Pharisees who are like studying the Scriptures all day long, telling everybody what to do, those people who claim to be mature, Jesus takes a strip off them. He's like, you whitewashed tombs, you den of serpents. It's just like, boom, because if they claim to be mature, he's like, I'm going to deal with you differently. You deal with someone differently who should know better than somebody who doesn't. So this is why it's so important for us as a church, if we're going to encourage one another in the faith, we have to know where we are in the faith, where we are, where others are. This is why relationship is so important because you might think someone is someone somewhere they are not. You would never take a four-year-old kid and throw algebra at them. They'll be like, huh? If they're four years old and they're at that stage of mental development, you give them blocks. And you teach them to count the blocks and take blocks away or use slices of pies. You don't throw advanced mathematics. You would stunt their growth. And if you take somebody who's 20 years old in university and you're giving them colored blocks, you're stunting their growth. So it's really important, this idea of understanding where someone's at in their spiritual maturity, ourselves and others, becomes critical to how we love, care for, encourage, and correct. Does that make sense? So now I hope I got your attention. That's why this is, that's why this, this whole conversation is so, so important. A couple of reasons why I like the pool analogy, and then we'll jump into the scriptures. The, the first is that, um, again, as I said before, as you're sitting around the pool or the lake this summer, hopefully some of the things we're talking about in the series are going to be reminded constantly as you're doing that. The second reason why I love this, this particular analogy of the pool for spiritual development is it's not age dependent. There are 40 and 50 year olds who don't know how to swim. And if they fell off a boat in the middle of the lake with a life jacket, would, would probably die. Um, and it's the same with faith. Someone can start their faith journey at 65. They might have no clue who Jesus is, who God is, the truths of the kingdom. They're just beginning like a babe drinking milk and then proceeding from there to grow and develop, even though on the outside they look 
older and mature. The last reason is because um, swimming is a unique environment. I, I remember as a kid, um, you walk around on the ground and you feel gravity and you get in the pool and you feel weightless. And it's like, wow, it's like, a, like being in space. It's, an, it's like another world. You go under the water and everything sounds different. You hear everything. It's so weird. And you open your eyes. Eventually you get brave enough to open your eyes and everything's blurry, but you can make shapes out. And and, and everything, and you're weightless, and you can spin upside down, and it's like, it's like another world. And what the New Testament teaches is that we as Christians actually have our feet planted in two worlds. One in the natural world. We go to work, we, we eat, and, and, and we have to work, and we have to deal with people, and then the other foot is planted in the kingdom of God. And there's His truth, and, and His love, and all these things. And so we're kind of navigating. I, I heard John Eldridge on a podcast this week, and he said Christians are... are um, amphibious and what he meant was we have to live between two worlds we have to operate in the physical natural world like like everyone else but we also want to operate in the kingdom of god and and so we we have our feet planted and so that's why i love swimming because it's a great analogy for all of these things as we think about spiritual maturity so got a picture of a pool here we'll keep referring back to this we got the shallow end step one the deep end step two and the lifeguard chair will represent spiritual maturity. And we're going to talk lots about that in the weeks to come. My, my plan essentially today is to outline the three stages. And we're going to focus in on the first stage, infancy, and then we'll cover the others in the coming weeks. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Paul's writing to the early church. And he's instructing them specifically about how the church, a community like this, was to grow and become mature in the faith. And here's what he says. He says, he, speaking of God gave, and he's going to give five what we call ministry gifts. These are leadership gifts within the church community, and he's going to explain what they do, and that's where we're going to focus. He says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds. This is often translated pastors, okay, because that's what a pastor is supposed to do, care for and watch out for the safety, the spiritual safety of people, and teachers. So these things, these gifts, these leadership gifts in the church were given, and he's going to tell us why. Notice this. He says this, to, and I need you to read this for me, to what? To equip the saints. So according to Paul, my job as a pastor here and and Todd and Andrew and our elders and other leaders, our job is to equip you, the church, for what? Work of ministry. That's 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 a radical idea. It's actually an old idea, but it's a radical idea. Because I grew up in churches sometimes where you'd have 60 people come in and sit down and they would say, Pastor, minister to me. Do something to serve me, teach me, pray for me, love me, care for me. And poor pastor's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Weird expression, isn't it? Except when I was a kid, we had chickens. And they, anyway, that's, it was, it was, (laughs) I can't forget. It's burned into my brain. Um. But the point is, is that like the church isn't the church if the pastors and leaders are doing all the ministry. The goal, according to Paul, is that is that the leaders and the teachers and the pastors of the church would equip and train and help the people of the church to become so mature that they care for and minister to one another, that the body would serve one another, that each person would find their gift and their calling and step into maturity and care and love for others. That's the image that he gives, and it would all be building up the body of Christ. So there's a body, a community of people that are all working together. And again, for our leadership, 
if we're doing our job well, hopefully we're equipping and preparing you to do the work of ministry. Let's, let's move on. He continues and says, until we all attain to the what? Unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So here's our first glimpse at what spiritual maturity actually looks like. Someone who is spiritually mature will bring unity. And I've met a lot of people that think they're spiritually mature. I know the Bible. I speak in Greek. I went to seminary. I have 10 years of experience in leadership. And everywhere they go, they cause disunity. That's actually a sign of a spiritual adolescent. But we're going to talk about that next week. Okay? If you're constant disunity and harmony, it might mean you have a lot of knowledge but you don't have the grace to use it properly, okay? So unity, bringing unity is a sign of maturity. Someone who brings peace and unity. And the knowledge of the Son of God. You can know a lot of stuff about God, about Jesus, about the Bible, but what we're going to see is that people who are spiritually mature know God. They know Him. They, they know how He thinks. They know what, how He feels for others. They, they grasp God in a way that is deep and profound, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks yet. The goal in all of this is for all of the church to progress towards mature manhood. Everything's in the masculine in our text, but to adulthood. Okay, that's the idea. He continues to say this. He says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal for you is not just to become a more moral person or a more generous person who gives more money to the church or serves the community more. All that's great. The goal of spiritual maturity is to pursue the fullness of Christ, that you would become more like Jesus. I like to say that spiritual maturity is not uh, about knowing more about Jesus, but becoming more like Jesus. This is what the New Testament teaches, becoming like Jesus, being transformed so that you and He begin to look like the same, the same character, the same nature flows from you. That's God's plan for us. So he continues, he says, we want everyone in the church to progress towards the fullness of mature adulthood, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. Essentially what he's saying is here, he's like, if we remain spiritual children, we will be vulnerable. And you recognize this, right? That children are vulnerable. <laughs> if you've ever cared for a kid, you're thinking, how is this child going to survive without me? You have to feed it milk. You have to change it. You have to care for it. You have to clean it. And, and this goes on for years, and hopefully, with each passing year, as the child grows and develops, it needs you less. That's the idea, right? And you're thinking, wow, soon, when my kid turns 40, they won't need me anymore. <laughs> I'm learning, it, this, it goes longer than I thought, but, but hopefully, with each passing year, as our children grow and develop into men and women, mature adults, that as they grow, they need us less and less and less and less and they become more and more like jesus isn't that what we want for our kids and uh, absolutely and this is the same spiritually children are vulnerable and this is so important because again if we can't recognize when people come into this assembly into this church and they're brand new baby christians and they're new to the faith and they're trying to figure things out if we don't recognize it how can we protect them and how can we feed them and how can we care for them and make sure that they're not exposed to well, here's, here's what he's going to say. Baby Christians are most exposed and in, in danger of, right? Not, we're not talking about physical danger. We're talking about something else. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, human cunning, and deceitful schemes. Throughout the New Testament, Paul and others would come to a community and they would tell them about Jesus. 
That if they trusted in Christ, their sins would be washed away. That they would have eternity with God in heaven. And they would lay out a map for how to live and what Christian community meant. And as soon as they would leave, someone would come in and start to teach something else. It's about what you do. It's about the clothes you wear. It's about the food you eat. You've got to do this stuff to please God. And of course, many of the letters in the New Testament are are Paul and others writing to these churches to go, whoa, 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 you're being deceived. You're being tricked. You're, you're getting something that is not from God. And so again, this becomes so important for those who are new in faith to have supports and teaching and encouragement. He goes on to say this. He says, rather, instead of being children, we want to learn to speak the truth in love. Next week, I'm going to talk a fair bit, I think, about as we talk about the adolescent stage, Part of become, going from a child to an adult is, is becoming independent and taking on responsibility and learning how to use knowledge. You go to school and you go to university, you get a degree, and you're learning all this information and you have to figure out how to use that to make a difference in the world. That's the process. And unfortunately, what happens in the teenage stage, let's say, of spiritual development is people, often I think a lot of Christians who've been Christians a long time are teenagers in their faith, and what that means is they have a lot of Bible verses, they have a lot of knowledge, a lot of theology, they don't know how to use it. And they end up hurting people with it because they don't have the discernment and the wisdom. They take verses, you know, the, the Word of God is said to be a two-edged sword. I like to think of the Bible, the Scriptures, like a knife. A knife can be used as a weapon or as a tool to heal, right? You can perform surgery and carefully heal someone with a knife or you can kill them with it. That's what truth is like. And spiritually mature people know how to use truth, when to speak truth, who needs to hear what truth. There are some truths we don't tell our four and five-year-olds that we do tell our 15-year-olds. And we do tell our... Thir- you understand what I'm saying? So truth, knowing how, is that's part of what you need to understand to move out of the teenage stage into spiritual maturity. But that's next week's message. So I will continue to read. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Again, the aim, be like Jesus, to grow up into Him. Next verse. From whom, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together with every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the the idea here, the picture, is that the church is a body, or you could say a family. And in a family, you have grandparents and parents and teenagers and little kids and babies. You have this whole spectrum, and the whole thing just works together. Everyone helping each other. Those who are older helping the younger. Those who are the younger leaning towards and following the example of the older. And you get this, and Paul's like, that's what, this is what the church is supposed to look like. It's a community where everyone's doing their part, right? The little kids don't contribute a lot, but one day they will. One day they will. One day they'll be the parents. One day they'll be the ones paying the taxes. Thank, thank you, Lord. Uh, one day, one day, it's going to change. And, but, but again, if we get our eyes off this idea of everyone progressing through the stages, we get stuck. I don't want to be part of a church where everyone's spiritually mature. That's boring. I, I've talked to lots of people who are in their 60s and 70s, and they're like, get me out of this home. I want to go see some kids. I want them to drool on me. I want to see kids laughing. I want to see them crying. I want to put a band-aid on somebody. They just, they want to see life and they want to be part of that community the way it's intended to be. You with me? So there's this image that, that he's painting for us. So I want to show you a little grid and each week of the series, we're going to keep building, we're going to keep building attributes. And so hopefully by the end of the series, you're going to have a really good handle on these three stages. We have the infancy stage, the shallow end, the deep end and the lifeguard. 
Infants are dependent. That's what I said earlier. That marks an infant. And you know there are people who enter into the church and enter into faith and they are completely dependent on others. Right? They, they, they can't manage it on their own, and so they are dependent. The next stage is adolescence, and adolescence is all about becoming independent. And parents hate this because your kids will push you away. They're like, I don't need you. And like, you have no idea how much you need me. But that's part of the process of them growing. And I'm telling you, Christians do this all the time. I, I've had so many conversations with Christians like, I don't need church. I know what the Bible says. I got books, I got scholars, I got, you know, all these things. I don't, I don't need church, I don't need a pastor, I don't need a mentor. And I'm like, oh, spiritual adolescence, this is totally normal. <laughs> You'll be back, right? Why? Because you think you know more than you do, and, and that's part of the whole process. That's where you have to be. But eventually, you're going to discover that you don't have all that knowledge just to be your brain. You have that to help somebody else, and that's where we get to adulthood. And the word I chose is dependable. I thought about interdependent, responsible. See, someone who's mature, physically, an adult, can not only cook and clean and care for themselves and pay for their bills and take care of all of life's things, but they can also take someone else under their wing, a child, a spouse, a parent, a somebody. They are dependable. They are able to not only care for themselves, but care for themselves and others. This is a sign of spiritual maturity. So if you're like, man, I know all this stuff and I'm so smart, but you're not caring for or leading anyone, you're probably over here somewhere. Okay, These are just, just some, some simple tools. And so as I said, as the weeks go by, we're going to continue to build, to build this out. One of the things that's really important to note, as I've been saying, God wants to lead us through this process towards maturity, all of us, from wherever we are. And Satan <laughs> wants to stop us. He, he wants to destroy the work of God in your life. And whenever Jesus told his parable of the sower and the seed, there's the enemy comes to steal the seed and all of that. He wants there's a there's a text in First Peter that I think is worth reading. It says this in First Peter five eight. It says, Be sober minded and watchful. Now who thinks that sounds like uh, what a lifeguard should be doing? I do. If you see a lifeguard reading a magazine, scrolling on their phone while kids are swimming, that's a bad sign. Swim somewhere else. Um, that's what we're supposed to do as a church. Be sober minded and watchful. Making sure. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay? Think about this. If you've ever watched the Nature Channel, and I have, lions are looking for three suspects. The first is the young. If they can separate a calf from its mother or its father or however that particular breed works, if they can get that calf or that youngling away, easy food, easy lunch. Secondly, they'll go for the sick and the lame. Those that are you know, hobbling, it's like, oh, that one, that, there's lunch. It's hobbling my way. <laughs> Number three, they, they will look for the isolated. So there's a whole herd of antelope, and there's one by himself. That's the one they're going after. And so if we go back a slide to my grid, if you go back a slide to my grid, yeah, this will work. Um, Satan will come after people in every stage, but it'll look a little different. The infants... They're easy game. The adolescents are often out on their own, and those in adulthood often are sick and lame and tired from all of their work and service. And he finds a way to get them all. So as a church, this is what's so beautiful, what Paul's saying is of a body growing together into the fullness of Christ. When people are isolated, we surround them. When children are vulnerable, we care for them, guide them, protect them. Do you, you see what I'm saying? When, when people are hurting, we, we surround them. 
This, this, is what, this is what God is calling us to do as a church. So let's continue. In, in Hebrews uh, chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, we, nobody knows, everyone speculates who wrote Hebrews, but um, the writer of Hebrews writes this, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. He's like, you've been Christians long enough that you should be teaching this stuff, but there are still some basic principles that you have not figured out, and so you need milk and not solid food. He's like, you're not where you should be. Back to my swimming story. When I was a kid, I wanted to swim in the deep end, as I said, but they wouldn't let me until I passed the swim test. Anybody ever done a swim test? It's so, so nerve-wracking. I don't know why. They're like, okay, swim across the shallow end and back. And if you can do that, that's... And so I did that, and I'm like, awesome. And they're like, hey, we need you to swim underwater. It's like, I can do that. I need you to hold your breath. Okay. Then the one that I could never get, they're like, you have to be able to do the dead man's float. Anybody remember that? I don't even know if they teach that anymore. It's, it's so silly. You're just laying on the water like a dead person. Like, that's not a skill you use. It's not, I, I tried it a few times. The lifeguards did not appreciate it. And he's just laying in the shallow end like this, practicing my dead man's float. It's not, I don't even know why, but I, that was the thing. I could, my feet kept sinking and I couldn't get it. And so I had to work and work for a long time, like four days or something, um, to master that skill so I could finally get to the deep end. And in, in the same way, the writer of Hebrews is like, listen, there are some basic fundamental skills that you have to have before you move on and you haven't got them yet. And just for interest's sake, let me show you um, in the following chapter, he actually outlines some of the fundamentals of the faith. So this is shallow end Christianity. And as I read this list and explain it, some of you are going to be like, actually, I need to work on that. And that's part of what I'm hoping will happen in this series, that as we go through it, the Holy Spirit will put his finger on something in you that's like, there's, that's what's holding you back from getting to the next level. There's a skill that you're missing, a fundamental piece. Number one, repentance from dead works this this really is about salvation through grace and faith because our tendency as human beings will always be to earn our salvation and it's like no you're going to repent from dead works and trust in jesus the foundation of christianity is it's not about me it's not what i do it's him and what he's done for me and until you grasp that you're not ready to go to the next level so we want to grasp that. That's the, the, the essence of the gospel. Faith in God. Trusting God. You can know all kinds of stuff about Him, but if you don't trust Him, you're not ready to get out of the shallow end. Baptism. In Hebrews, he writes about washings, and that's referring to baptism. It's like, baptism in water is the sign of like, hey, I'm starting this journey with Jesus. And literally, I don't understand why some people will be in church for five years, they trust in Jesus, and they, that's like the thing that's holding them up. It's like, I'm not ready. I'm not perfect yet. When I'm a mature Christian, I'll get baptized. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> that's, a, that's a shallow end thing. Just do it. Then there's calling. Calling is this idea that God has given you gifts and called you to do so. You have something to contribute. You have to know that before you move on to the next stage. Resurrection, that you would understand that there's an eternity for you in heaven with God, that there's hope for tomorrow and last eternal judgment. Like the reason why you're going to love and serve others is because of what God has done for you and because you know that you'll be judged. And so you got all this. These are like the essentials of the Christian faith. And when you get all these down, you're ready to go to the next stage. So I thought, <clears throat> with a little bit of time we have left, just a few minutes. Uh, I want to share with you a few uh, pool stereotypes. Okay, have a little fun, and make this practical. I thought of making a video, you know, like dude perfect stereotypes video, but 
<clears throat> I didn't have time. So, and I didn't want you to see me in my bathing suit. So, pool stereotypes. Um, here's the first one, okay? And these are, these are things I've seen around the pool. Like you're watching kids in the shallow end. The toe dipper. How many of you have seen the, po- the toe dipper? This is the kid that is just like on the edge and it's like, too cold, too cold. On the edge, too warm. The water's too green. The waves are too big. There's too many people in the pool. It's too sunny. I'm going to get a sunburn. And the kid's sitting in the corner like talking about how they're going to get in the pool tomorrow. I call this the toe dipper. And it's funny because we all like, oh, that's, that's so cute and fun. Except when adults are doing this with their faith. <laughs> they show up to church and they're like, oh, I kind of kind of want to take that next step. Oh, no, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Maybe next year I'll take the next step of my faith. And it's like, oh, no, no, it's not the right time. It doesn't feel right. And it's just like, call it the toe dipper. Okay? So maybe that's you. And <laughs> God will put his finger and, and then you can take your next step. I, I would encourage you to, to, to get in the water. Uh, here's the second one, the overzealous. <laughs> this kid always scares me. It's the kid that's like, I can swim! And they jump in the deep end and just sink. And someone has to save their life and pull them out. And then they do it again. It's like, I don't understand. Um, there are people who just like, they're just like, ready, fire, aim. They just, they, just, they just think everything, they can just, and they just jump in. And usually you're saving these ones uh, from themselves. I've seen this in church. People show up to church and they're like, Yes to Jesus. Yes to baptism. Yes to small group. Yes to volunteering. All in. And they're going crazy. And next thing you know, it's like, where'd they go? <laughs> they drowned. They, they took on way more than they could handle. They were slow, right? You want to enter in slowly. So again, this is overzealous. So this is one as spiritual, mature people who want to be like, okay, let's help you take the appropriate steps. Here's another one. Uh, I love this. The cling on. The cling on. <laughs> not, not from Star Trek, but like clinging on to mom or dad and you we've all seen the kid who's perfectly capable of swimming can actually stand in the shallow end right with no problems but won't let go of mom or dad it's like they know all the skills but they're completely dependent and again one of the things about uh with our children the goal is as if you have little children the goal is that they begin completely dependent on you okay this is free parenting advice as they get older they should become less dependent on you and they should begin to venture away from mom and dad, right? And this starts when they're, you know, 12 months old and it's like, go say hi to so-and-so and they're like reaching for mom and dad and they're kind of like four feet and they come back and you're like, see, you didn't die. And then they go six feet and come back. And this is a process, right? Go throw the ball to that kid and say hi and tell him your name. This is, this is how it works, right? And so it's true spiritually. It's possible to begin your faith journey and to be stuck to a mentor, a friend, a coach, and it's just like, you're my everything, and my whole spirituality depends on you. And, and a spiritually mature person is going to be like, take a step. Go say hi to somebody at church. <laughs> Tell them your name. Ask them where they're from. You know, take a step and begin to expand your borders. Don't be a Klingon. So maybe that somebody needs to expand their borders. Here's, here's the last one, and then we'll, we'll wrap things up. The late bloomer. <laughs> This is like the 14-year-old's got hair on his chest and still in the shallow end. <laughs> Doing handstands, racing all the little kids and showing, like beating them all. And it's just like, dude, dude, you should be in the deep end. It's like, yeah, it just... <laughs> I've seen this play itself out over and over again at church where like people are ready to be a small group leader, to lead a team. They have all the skills. They have all the knowledge. They've developed all the fundamentals. They just don't want the responsibility. <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm comfortable here. And again, my hope is that if there are late bloomers in the church, that we would be 
encouraging them to take a step, to get under that line and get into the deep end. So there's just a few fun stereotypes. Maybe you find yourself somewhere in there. I want to give you three really practical things, and then I'm going to pray. Um, Three practical things. If you feel like, if you're hearing me today, and you're like, yeah, I'm in the shallow end. I am a new Christian. I'm new to faith. I'm just toe-dipping. What do I do next? Here's three simple things you can do. Number one, eat. My wife and I had four kids. Every one of them ate and ate. And I mean, when you get a baby, all they do is eat and sleep and poop. That's, that's basically all they do. It's like, that's it. Because they're just growing. They're just growing. And what I've seen is when, when people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus and like it becomes real to them, they can't get enough of this book. And, and maybe later on you're like, ah, I don't get anything out of this anymore. But like at the beginning, it's just like, I can't get enough. And you just voraciously read. You don't even understand it, but you're just feeding, feeding, feeding. And that's, that's normal and good. You need to open this thing. You need to read it. You get a devotional. Find someone to read with. Look, whatever you need to do, but eat the Word of God. Number two, you need to ask questions. Kids learn by asking questions. Dad, why does that happen? Mom, why does the moon that color? Why do you cook it that way? And like They just absorb, like sponges absorbing information. And one of the most horrific things I've ever seen is churches that don't allow people to ask questions. Because how can people grow if they can't ask? Well, why do we believe that? Why Why doesn't God... Like, asking hard... Sometimes half the questions my kids ask me, I can't answer anymore. But we grow together. We need to ask questions. And if you're new to faith, and you're like, I'm a, I'm a child in the faith, and I, I don't have all those fundamentals in place. We have something starting in September called Starting Point, or we might do Alpha, but it's the same idea. It's eight to ten weeks where we're literally laying all the foundations of faith. And if, and if you don't have them, or if you feel like maybe... There's some gaps in your foundation. That would be something for you to watch for and sign up for. So you can ask your questions and begin to take your next step. Last, I don't even like to say it because it's been so abused, but stay under authority. So many churches have misused the idea of authority, so I'm not going to get into that today. But a child that has no one watching over them is in great danger. If you have a three or four year old, you wouldn't leave them at the pool when there's nobody there because they're liable to drown. You wouldn't leave them by a roadside. You just wouldn't. Of course, when we're talking about spiritual maturity, nobody's assigned as your parent. So nobody's going to like force you to do the right thing. So you literally have to find a church, a small group, a pastor, a mentor and say, would, would you help guide me? Would you help look over my shoulders and make sure that I'm going in the right way? That's kind of on, on us to do that. But to stay under, to say, okay, I'm going to trust your judgment until I'm old enough to actually exert my own independence and judgment. Does that make sense? So these are just a few simple things we can do. And I just want to read our text just one last time, and I'm going to pray. God wants us to grow towards spiritual maturity until we attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, adulthood, to the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's the goal for all of us, that we would move in his direction. And I pray that we would do that today. Would you pray with me? Father, um, today as we consider the call that you have on us, your children, to grow in our faith and to take steps towards the image and fullness of Christ. I pray, Father, if there are sticking points, if there are things that are blocking our way towards maturity, that you, by your spirit, would point them out. Give us the courage and the strength. Empower us to take our next steps 
towards spiritual maturity. May we be a church that is open to questions, that is caring for people in an age and stage appropriate way so that all the church might grow to maturity in the fullness of Christ. Thank you for this, Lord. Thank you for the work you're doing in each of us and in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.